Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The 2021-2022 NBA regular season is officially in the books, and today is a great chance to look back at how our 10 Zags in the NBA played this year, what their future in the league looks like, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I also want to thank all of you who've made this podcast your first listen of the day. It is very much appreciated as we head into what will be a long, long offseason for those of us who are watching Gonzaga's basketball programs. I also want to thank all of you who have checked out the show on YouTube. We are over 550 subscribers for the second week in a row, one of the fastest growing YouTube channels on the Locked On Podcast Network. I appreciate all of you who have contributed to that, whether you are a subscriber or just somebody who has watched on the YouTube channel. But again, if you're listening to the show right now, go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. I very much appreciate seeing that number grow as we try to approach 1,000 subscribers before the start of the next basketball season. Today is the first day of the NBA offseason for the majority of the teams in the league. Obviously, the playoffs are just getting started, and we will talk about the three Zags who have an opportunity to continue to participate In the NBA season, those three players will be discussed in the third segment. First two segments, we're talking about the seven other Zags who saw their season come to a close, either earlier in the season or at least on the 10th of April when the NBA regular season finalized. The first segment, we're sticking with the Washington Zags. That's right, the Washington Wizards out of D.C. Three Gonzaga Bulldogs players were on that roster this season. We're going to start with a season in review for Joel Ayayi. So Joel's season began when he went undrafted, somewhat surprisingly, in the 2021 NBA draft. There was a lot of expectation that he might be a mid-second round pick, as some places had him as high as an early second round pick. He ended up falling out of the draft towards the last few picks. It sounds like he had made his mind up that he was going to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers as an undrafted free agent, which is what happened. He signed that contract minutes After the draft ended, played with the Lakers in Summer League and quite frankly didn't play particularly well. I think part of it was that the Summer League is not a very conducive environment to the kind of basketball player that Joel Iyayi is. He is more of a role player, more of a kind of do everything but not take over a game one-on-one style player. He fits well in a team-oriented offense, which is why he fits so well at Gonzaga, why he maybe didn't look so good in the summer league. The Lakers ended up making a flurry of trades, signing a ton of veteran players. It didn't go particularly well for them, but it did mean that they did not have room for Joel Iyayi to stick around on the roster. He was released, signed with Washington, ended up inking what is called a two-way contract, which means that he has to spend a certain chunk of the season on the NBA roster, spends the rest of the season in the G League, in this case with the Capital City Go-Go's, which is the G League team for Washington. He played 29 games for the Capital City squad, averaged 31 minutes per game, and had a very, very Joel Ayayi-like 
line, averaged 10.7 points, 6.6 assists, and 5.8 rebounds per game, along with 0.9 steals per game as well. That's the Joel we know and love right there. 11.6 and a half assists, just under six rebounds. He's a borderline triple-double waiting to happen. Any game you could see him potentially breaking out to do that. That's the guy that we know. Uh, He did get his chance to make his NBA debut. He did that on October 25th of the season. He played the last three and a half minutes of a game against the Brooklyn Nets. Ended up playing in seven total games during the season, almost all of them in late Late game action, usually blowouts one way or another. Uh, like I said, seven total games. He did not score his first bucket until December 26th against the Philadelphia 76ers. All told, in his first NBA season, he played 20 total minutes. One for six from the field, finished with two points, four assists, and three boards. Not exactly, he wasn't moving the needle significantly, in the NBA in his first year, but again, very, very successful in the G League. And I think he's proven that he's going to continue to get looks. This is not it for Joel Eiei. I believe very strongly that he will get more of a look next season, years beyond that. It took him a little bit of time to adjust to the college game from high school. I think he's going to continue to adjust. I think I watched some highlights of his last few games at Capital City. He looked really, really good. He was taking guys off the dribble. He was getting into the paint. He was scoring with the basketball in his hands, not just moving away, not just moving without the basketball, which is what he excelled at at Gonzaga. I think this is a guy who's going to have a very successful career uh, basketball-wise, and I think we're going to see some more of him in the NBA next year. Next up, Corey Kispert, also a rookie for the Washington Wizards this past season, the 15th overall pick in the NBA draft. Corey kind of had a tale of two seasons uh, in Washington. He finished the season playing in 77 Of the team's 82 games, he made 36 starts for Washington in his first season. Uh, His playing time was, was frankly, all over the place. Washington really struggled to kind of nail down a rotation. They had a ton of different starting lineups. Part of that was injuries. Part of that was midseason trades. Part of that was Rui Hachimura returning later in the season, which we'll talk about momentarily. But at the end of the day, Corey just, he started out the year deep on the bench, didn't play a whole lot, ended up securing a much bigger role down the stretch. Uh, He finished the season averaging 8.2 points, 2.7 rebounds, and just over an assist per game. Shot 45.5% from the field, 35% from three. But like I said, tale of two seasons. First 26 games for Corey Kispert in the NBA. He was playing 13 minutes a night. He was averaging under four points per game. He was shooting 26.4% from three. At this point, there was some concern. There was some worry. Corey did not look... Like he was much more than a deep roster NBA player. He was, again, only playing 13 minutes per night, shooting barely a quarter, making a quarter of his three-point attempts. Uh, it was it was a little bit ugly. And then, then he had that game against at Madison Square Garden against the New York Knicks. 20 points at the Garden, his first career start, starting in place of Bradley Beal, who went on the injured list and missed the rest of the season. That is where things turned around for Corey Kispert. 20 at the Garden will do that for you. 51 more games that season. 36 of them were starts for Corey Kispert. In those games, he averaged 29 minutes. So he went from 13 minutes per game to 29 minutes per game, 10.5 points. And then his three-point percentage went from 26.4 to 36.7%. That's the Corey Kispert we know right there. Playing big minutes, scoring regularly, shooting league average or just above league average from three. I think we'll continue to see that percentage tick up. 
uh, as he continues to get more used to the NBA game. His last few games this season, he looked awesome. He went four for eight from the three with 20 points in his final regular season game uh, with Washington. He's going to be a big part of this team's future. He earned his playing time. He struggled early on. He made adjustments. He was given a bigger opportunity, which was somewhat fortunate for him, but he took advantage of it in a significant way. And next year, they're going to be, they're going to have a hard time not giving him 28 minutes per night again next season because he's clearly earned it. And then finally, of course, is Rui Hachimura. Rui is in his third season with the Washington Wizards. Uh, he began the season away from the team for personal reasons. Uh, we never really got a ton of information about this, which is totally okay because we do not deserve or need to know specifically what exactly he was away from the team for. We do know that there was some pressure situations. Uh, he, he represented his country uh, in the Olympics, and it didn't go particularly well for Japan, and I think he took that very, very hard. He has said that. Uh, he f- wasn't feeling a lot of joy playing basketball, so he took some some time away from the game, ultimately returned to the team on January 9th. So he missed about half the season, came off the bench for the first 29 games. This is the first time in Rui's NBA career he came off the bench. He started every single game in his first two seasons in a Washington uniform, but when he joined the team in January, he was a reserve player. And in that role, he was not playing very much, just under 20 minutes per game. He was still averaging 10 points, three boards, and he was shooting a whopping 50% from three in that reserve role off the bench. Rui was not a three-point shooter in, in college. He was not a three-point shooter in his first two seasons in the NBA. But here he was, 20 minutes per game off the bench for Washington, and he was knocking down half of his three-point attempts. Washington made a switch at that point, put him into the starting lineup for the final 13 games of the season, back where he belonged. Like I said, he'd always been a starter for Washington, so they got him back into that lineup across those past 13 games. minutes per game, saw the scoring tick up to 14.2 points, five boards, one and a half assists, and his three-point shooting dropped from 50%, which is expected, but he still shot 36.7% from three. That is outstanding. That means Rui finished his third season in the NBA playing 42 games, averaging 11.3 points, just under four rebounds, and shooting 44.7% from three. That is a monumental difference for Rui Hachimura. When you are a wing in the NBA, he's a small ball four. He plays more four, but he plays away from the rim a fair amount. When you play the wing position in the NBA, you need to be able to knock down outside shots. Need to be able to do it. Rui proved not only that he can he can knock him down enough to keep the defense honest, he knocked him down 45% of the time. That is elite. Of course, his number of attempts was lower than the you know, guys who led the league because he only played in half the games. And even for the first half of the games that he did play, he was playing only about 20 minutes per night. But regardless, for him to play as much as he did and knock down threes at a way higher clip than he ever has in his career up to this point is a really significant development. If he plays a full season next year, plays 25, 30 minutes per night, and he's shooting anywhere close to 40% from three, he becomes a very, very dangerous player. He's already a dangerous player, to be clear. He's got some work to do on the defensive end, but he's a very dangerous offensive player. And if this is a consistent part of his arsenal, he's going to be a top-tier offensive player in the NBA. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. we got four more Zags to discuss. All guys who did not make the playoffs as we talk about the playoff guys in the final segment. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. The 2022 NCAA tournament is in the books with a win secured by Bill Self and the Kansas Jayhawks. 
While the Zags unfortunately fell short of the game's pinnacle week, that does not mean fans cannot remain in on the action. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Heck, they even have lines on a fight between Will Smith and Chris Rock, should you be so inclined to bet on that. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still going through the 10, count them 10, double digits. Former Zags who participated in an NBA game this past season. We're talking about four of the guys who did not make the playoffs this season, but the four guys who are not on the Washington Wizards as they got their own segment for being the most Zag-friendly team currently in the NBA. We'll start this segment off talking about the veteran, the old head of the group, that is Kelly Olynyk, who is in his ninth, or just completed, I should say, his ninth NBA season. It was his first year in Detroit with the Pistons. He obviously began his career in Boston, spent a couple of years in Miami, uh, spent part of last season with the Houston Rockets, where he was excellent. Parlayed that into a nice three-year contract with the Pistons. First year in Detroit didn't go great, uh, in part because Kelly was hurt. He missed quite a bit of time with a knee injury, only ended up playing in 40 games this season. So that was just under half of the games that Detroit played this year. He only made one start. He did come to Detroit with the expectation that he would be coming off the bench. Uh, but he played a career-low 19 minutes per game. Again, you're talking about a guy who was coming off of an injury, so there was some reason for him to not play very many minutes uh, in that regard. He's also the veteran guy on a young team where they're trying to figure out which players on their team are going to be a part of the future. So, And 19 minutes per game, he averaged about 20 minutes per game for most of his career. So calling 19 minutes per game a career low is a tad, it's a tad misleading because it's basically in line with his career averages. Speaking of career averages, this season he averaged 9 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.8 assists, shot 44.8% from the field, and 33.6% from deep. Uh, the 9 points, 4.5 boards is pretty much in line with what he has put up for his entire career. I've joked about this on this podcast before, but Kelly Linick is perhaps the most just consistent NBA player of the last decade or so. He really has put up almost identical numbers uh, every stop of the way, every single season. He's just kind of doing the same stuff. His one really notable counterexample was the half season he spent in Houston, and that team was not very good, and they ran a lot of offense through Kelly, and he put up like 20 and 10 for the Rockets, which was incredible to see him do that. But for the most of, most of the rest of his career, he's been about 10 and 5, and that's pretty much what he put up in Detroit. His shooting rates were lower than they've ever been. Not something that I think is overly concerning. Again, a 40-game sample size is not huge, and he was coming off of a pretty significant injury. Uh, he's still under contract for two more years. I doubt he finishes all of that time in Detroit. I think they're eventually going to look to offload him, uh, potentially send him to a contender where he could be play a deeper bench role and maybe help them win a championship. Uh, there are plenty of teams who could use a backup center with Kelly Linux' experience uh, and overall skill set. I don't know if Detroit's going to look to deal him this offseason or if they're going to try to go into next season with him and maybe see what they can get for him at the trade deadline. But my expectation is that his time in a Detroit uniform is not going to be a whole lot longer. But I think there's 
there's a lot of opportunities for him to, to find another home in the NBA soon. Next up is the golden child, Jalen Suggs, who finished his rookie season with the Orlando Magic. He played in 48 games. 45 of them were starts. Uh, most notably, Jalen Suggs missed a lot of time this year with injuries. He had a thumb injury. He had some ankle stuff. Uh, it cost him a good chunk of his rookie season. It was really d- disappointing to see the Zags <laughs> this year. Had a lot of guys deal with injuries. It was pretty common uh, for most of the players in the league uh, from Gonzaga, which was unfortunate to see for those who who watch a lot of NBA basketball and wanted to see how the Zags were doing. Uh, when he was on the court, he played 27 minutes per game. He averaged about 12 points, four and a half assists, three and a half rebounds, and a just over a steal per game. Notably, though, this was a topic of conversation throughout the season. Jalen Suggs really struggled to put the ball in the hoop. There's just not any other way to look at it. He shot 36% from the field, 21.4% from deep. Now, Jalen Suggs was not a great three-point shooter in college. There was not the, the knock on him coming out into the draft was his outside shooting, and it was understandable why that was a concern. Do I think Jalen Suggs is a 21% three-point shooter? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He will improve uh, somewhat significantly. I don't know that he's going to be a 40% three-point shooter. I'm not sure he's even going to be a 36% three-point shooter, but I'm quite confident that with work, he could get to be in a 32, 33, maybe 35% three-point shooter. Uh, He's got the skill set to do it. He just, he really struggled to put the ball in the hoop this year. He did everything else great. His assist numbers were good. His turnovers numbers were a little high, but he's a 19-year-old rookie in the NBA. I think that's reasonable. His defense was phenomenal. He graded out as one of the best defensive guards in the NBA this past season. His pick-and-roll defense is elite. This man is going to be a all-NBA caliber defensive player when he is at his peak. And we got to remember, his peak is probably a few years away. He is 19. <laughs> he is a very young man. So when he reaches his physical peak, when he's been in the league for a few years, when he's 24, 25, he's going to be one of the best defensive guards in the league. And if the shot starts falling, which I can promise you he's not going to be a 22% three-point shooter forever, when that shot starts falling, he's going to be a really, really good player. Orlando is far, far, far and away not giving up on him. They're still building around him. They still hope that he can be a cornerstone part of the future. It wasn't the best rookie season. There's not really any other way to cut it up for him. But if he stays healthy, he plays a full 82 next year, that shot starts ticking up. We're going to start to see real glimpses of what kind of player he can be at the next level. Next up, DeMontis Sabonis. Sabonis, the two-time All-Star in his sixth NBA season. He switched teams yet again this past year. He started the season out with the Indiana Pacers, the team that he was a two-time All-Star with. Got traded at the deadline to the Sacramento Kings, now in the Western Conference Uh, Back in the Western Conference after beginning his career in Oklahoma City as a rookie. He played 62 games this past season, 61 of them in the starting lineup. 34 and a half minutes per night, averaged just under 19 points, just over 12 rebounds, five and a half assists, shot 57% from the field. This felt like a quote unquote down year for Sabonis, and I want to reiterate. 19 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists. That is really, really, really good. There is no other way to look at it. That's really good. I I understand why he didn't make the All-Star team. Obviously, getting traded from one conference to another conference halfway through the year likely did not help him in that regard. Now he's in a very crowded Western Conference. But 19, 12, and 5 is excellent. He did it while shooting 57% from the field as well. And he was crazy consistent. This was my favorite stat that I researched uh, while doing while doing research for this podcast with Indiana, 
47 games with the Pacers. 18.9 points, 12.1 rebounds, 5 assists. Sacramento, 15 games with the Kings. 18.9 points, 12.3 rebounds, 5.8 assists. <laughs> really, really similar. The biggest difference between these two teams and Jackson Frank, a former guest and friend of the podcast, talked about this at length when he was on the show. Indiana was really trying to get Sabonis to be an outside shooter. They ran a lot of offense where they facilitated through the guards and just kind of had the rest of the players standing around the perimeter ready to shoot. It's not Sabonis's game. He took way less threes in Sacramento. And as you would expect, his field goal percentage went up because he's not a good outside shooter. So even though the statistical, the stats look pretty much the same, it's a better fit for him in Sacramento. I think the Kings are are all geared up to build around a Sabonis-De'Aaron Fox combo in Sacramento. It's not a good defensive group. That's going to be an issue for this team. I think they're going to give up a lot of points until they can find some other role players to build around that are going to be bigger defensive pieces. But De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis is a dang good offensive combination, and I think they're going to they're gonna make some noise in the Western Conference starting as soon as next season. And finally, the last one of this segment is Kevin Pangos. Pangos uh, did not finish this season in the NBA, unfortunately, but he did begin the year in the NBA, his first official NBA season after six years abroad. He graduated from Gonzaga in 2015. He made his NBA debut in 2021. Tremendous shout out to the perseverance, the dedication, and the straight up skill that it takes to play six years overseas and then get your chance in the NBA. Really big shout out to him. One of my favorite Zags of all time. Super cool to see him play in the NBA this year. He played 24 games for the Cleveland Cavaliers, made three starts, finished the season playing about seven minutes per game, mostly in garbage time with the exception of those three starts, of course, which we will talk about momentarily. Finished the year averaging one and a half points, one and a half assists, only shot 32.6% from the field and 23% from deep. Again, he started three games that was due to injury for Cleveland injury and some COVID-related issues where they were just out of guards and they needed to play somebody. So he played 25 minutes per game in those three games, five and a half points, four and a half assists, but he shot 30% from the field and 10% from deep. Just didn't have the shot this year. Just didn't have the shot, was adjusting to the NBA. It's different from Europe, obviously. The high-level European leagues are very, very good, and I don't want to take away from them, but it's a different style of basketball in the NBA. And I think if he'd gotten longer, uh, more opportunity to grow and develop and get used to the speed and the differences of the NBA game, I think he could have had some success. But he wasn't given that opportunity. Cleveland was expected to be a pretty bad rebuilding team, so given a chance to a kid like Kevin made sense. But they were good. <laughs> they were really, really good this year. They're still pretty good. And, and so for him to have... Uh, to kind of just not end up getting that opportunity because of that uh, was a little bit unfortunate. Uh, what happened after that is still a little bit of a mystery. Uh, he was cut from the roster. He signed a two-year contract with a team in Russia and then didn't report because, as you are probably aware, Russia is in the middle of a war with Ukraine. And that kind of a lot of the, the news that we started hearing about the Russia-Ukraine uh, issue was happening right around the time that Kevin signed in Russia. And so people were like, is he going? Is he going to be safe? Like, what's going on with that? We still didn't get a ton of information other than he did not go. That is what we know. I don't know whether he voided his contract. I expect that he did. Um, but he's still in the United States. He was. He watched the team in Las Vegas. Uh, he posted a picture with Rem, Bacamas, and DeMontis Sabonis uh, like a few days ago as you're listening to this. So he's in the United States. I 
As I understand it, he is not under contract currently playing basketball. He will likely try to find a contract this offseason, whether it's overseas, whether he tries to stick around uh, to find another NBA contract or play in the G League is something I don't know uh, currently, but definitely a situation to be monitoring. If those are the only 24 games he plays in the NBA, still a tremendous shout out to him for making it and playing at that level. But I think there's a reasonable chance that he gets at least another look next season. Our third segment coming up, we're going to discuss the three Zags whose season has not ended. Two, of course, with the Memphis Grizzlies and one player in San Antonio who snuck into the final play-in game in the Western Conference right after this. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking Zags in the NBA. Three more guys to get to. We'll start it out with San Antonio Zach Collins, one of the longest tenured Zags in the NBA currently. He's in his first season with San Antonio, his fourth NBA season. Should be his fifth, but he did not play at all in the 2020-2021 season. He dealt with some very significant injuries, unfortunately. Ending his Portland career early, he suffered a shoulder injury in the third game of the season, missed the rest of that year until the COVID bubble happened, played eight games in the COVID bubble, did not play at all the last season, and then played for San Antonio this year. Very unfortunate to see him dealing with all these injuries. Obviously a guy who had a ton of potential, has a ton of potential still, uh, but never was able to live up to it during his Portland career. He signed with San Antonio this offseason. He did not play until February 4th, still dealing with foot injury stuff, which had been lasting for multiple years at this point. Uh, But he ended up playing in 28 games for San Antonio, made four starts with them, 18 minutes per game for Zach Collins, and he averaged 7.8 7.8 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.2 assists, and he shot 49% from the field and 34% from three. Obviously, 28 games is a small sample size, but it is worth pointing out that the 7.8 points and the 49% field goal percentage are both career highs for Zach Collins. That's the best he has done up to this point in his career. San Antonio is a great landing spot for him. They know they knew how to utilize him. They got him a lot of open looks. He shot well from three. He's a great rebounder. He's a good low post scorer. He's 24 years old. He's barely a year older than Corey Kispert, who just finished his rookie season. He's only a few months older than Chris Duarte on the Indiana Pacers, who also just finished his rookie season. Zach Collins is young still. Doesn't mean that there's not any inherent risk with him having significant amount of injury history up to this point in his career. But if I'm a San Antonio fan and I see this dude who's 24 years old who averaged eight and five off the bench and shot 34% from three as a 6'11 center, I am psyched. I am stoked with that level of production. I think he's going to be very good still. He's not going to be elite. He's not going to be an all-star caliber center. I'm not sure that he's even a, a starting center for like a playoff team. I'm not sure that he quite reaches that potential. But really good caliber backup center on a good team, I mean, he's already that. He's already that right now. And if he continues to stay healthy, he's going to carve out a very nice NBA career. Next up, Brandon Clark, the one of the two Memphis Grizzlies we're going to discuss today. Clark is in his third, just finished his third season or his third regular season, I should say, with the Memphis Grizzlies. Played in 64 games, only made one start this year. Memphis has kind of struggled to figure out what to do with Brandon Clark. It's something that's been discussed on this podcast and certainly among Gonzaga Twitter and I imagine Memphis Grizzlies Twitter quite a bit as well. Uh, They kind of 
tried to give him, he had a really good first season. They tried to give him an expanded role in his second season. They also tried to rearrange his shot and have him be more of an outside shooter. It didn't work because it's not his strength. Then he kind of got relegated to the bench, barely played. And then this season, I think they finally started to figure out their rhythm, not just with him, but with Jaron Jackson Jr. and a couple of the other big men that are on Memphis's roster. I think they finally got the groove. He played 19 and a half minutes per game this year, which is a career low, but is not dramatically lower than what he was doing in his first two seasons with the Grizzlies. He averaged 10 and a half points, five and a half rebounds, shot 64% from the field, which was a career high, as well as putting up 1.1 blocks per game, which was also a career high. So I think we kind of started to finally find the groove. He's a rim runner. He's a good defensive player. He's not an outside shooter. He's a high energy role player coming off the bench. I think that's a great role for Brandon Clark, and I think he's really going to succeed in that. 65% from the field is ludicrously good in the NBA. Really, really good. You only get 65% from the field if you're not taking outside shots, and that's kind of where they figured it out with Clark. Is like, let's let this dude just score around the rim. Let's let him get breakaway dunks. Let's let him run to the rim off John Morant lobs. Like, let's let him do that and let him block some shots and play good defense. And then, and that's that's kind of what his role is. Don't don't ask him to do a whole lot more than that because he doesn't need to do any more than that. He's pretty dang good at doing what he does. And I'm glad that Memphis has seemed to find it with him because I think he has the ability to do that for a decade and be really, really good at it. Uh, and now that he's kind of in that spot and in that role, I think that things are going to be smooth sailing for him, at least for the next couple of years. Final player of the show, my unabashed favorite Zag in the NBA, the man that my dog is named after, that is Killian Tilly, playing for the Memphis Grizzlies. The second two-way contract uh, that we're talking about in today's episode, Joel Iyayi was also on a two-way contract, finishing the show with Killian Tilly, although he's not currently on a two-way contract anymore. He began the season on that two-way deal, but after playing well to begin the season, he ended up converting his contract into a standard NBA contract. Tremendous shout-out to Killian Tilly. I, I, I gave a lot of praise to Kevin Pangos for making it to the NBA, and he deserves it entirely. But for Killian Tilly, a player who's been so decimated by injuries throughout his career, for him to get a two-year guaranteed contract, this changes his life. This sets him up financially forever. And for a player who's clearly good enough to play in the NBA, but who had any any play, anything, could have ended his career because of how volatile his legs have been, for him to do enough to get that guaranteed money is huge. So significant for him. Nothing else matters. We're going to talk about his stats. We're going to talk about his production, but nothing else matters. He got that money. He got that bag. He secured that contract. And I'm so happy for him to be able to do that. He played in 36 games this season with Memphis, made three starts, uh, played 13 minutes per game, averaged three and a half points, just under two rebounds, shot 34% from the field and 31.5% from deep. He hasn't quite found the consistent outside shot yet. Uh, There are certainly games where he puts it together. He'll have a three or four game stretch where he hits 40% of his threes and looks freaking awesome coming off the bench. He's also developed into a better shot blocker than he was at Gonzaga. To be clear, I think Killian Tilly was a good rim protector in college and a good defensive player. He just wasn't a shot blocker because that's not really what he was asked to do. But now he's He's developed into a legitimate shot blocker in the NBA. He's still a good outside shooter. He just hasn't been very consistent at it. I think he's going to be a good NBA player. I think he's going to last a long time. Now, he missed the last month of the season with injury issues. It is unclear at this point as Memphis heads into the playoffs 
how healthy and how available he is. So that is something to monitor. I don't know how much he's going to play for the rest of Memphis's season, however long that it lasts. But when he is healthy again, he has clearly proven he deserves to be part of an NBA rotation. And I think we're going to see that continue for him going forward. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Fun kind of episode looking at things a little bit differently for this Gonzaga team. We're talking all, all, all things Drew Timmy on Wednesday's show. More fun stuff coming later in the week. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make your second listen, the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. With the college basketball season wrapping up, give Raphael Barlow and a flurry of guests a listen as they prepare for the NBA Draft. Hear thoughts on Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, and the rest of the NBA's future stars on Locked On NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!